Live from the NASDAQ market site in the heart of New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. Here's what's on tap tonight. Big box blowout. Walmart set to kick off retail earnings season next week. The stock at an all-time high. Will results push it and the sector higher or is a pullback on the horizon? We'll debate that. Plus, a high flyers edition of Would You Rather. From burgers to chips to streaming and beyond, the traders are set to choose their winners. And later, the options action on NVIDIA. Why one Wall Street firm thinks Eli Lilly will join the Trillionaires Club. The supersized Friday fade for Supermicro. Oh, and and this. Oh, puppies playing in the snow. So cute, right? We'll tell you why this could be a potentially scary new turn oh in AI's evolution. I'm Melissa Lee coming to you live from Studio B at the NASDAQ on the desk tonight. Carter Worth, Guy Dami, Julie Beal, and Mike Coe. And we start off with the countdown to retail earnings kickoff. Walmart and Home Depot get things started on Tuesday with Target, Lowe's, and more coming in uh, the weeks that follow. The reports come as Walmart stock is trading at record highs. The stock is up more than 8% this year, outperforming the S&P by more than 300 basis points. But it wasn't all good news on the retail front. Shares of Nike dropping as much as 4% today after announcing it would cut about 2% of its workforce as part of an effort to reduce costs by $2 billion. So how would you gauge the strength of the consumer heading into these retail reports? Guy. First of all, you scared me at the top of the show. Right. That was an so, excellent job by you, like character acting. Or you, you, you channeled your inner... Na- natural. Well naturally done, scary. By you. I think, listen, we say it all the time. The U.S. consumer will always spend money whether or not they should be is another question, but they clearly have been. Just look at the data from MasterCard and Visa. I mean, transactions continue to go higher, suggest people are spending. The real issue is, should they be? Who wins, though? That's the real question. And obviously, you mentioned Walmart. You know what, quite frankly, Walmart at 23 and a half times next year's numbers, which may see, seem rich to the broader market. I think in terms of Walmart, it's very reasonable. And in the early game of Would You Rather, I'd much rather Walmart than Target at 16 and a half times. The one you have to be concerned about here, I think, is Costco now tro- close to 43 times that reports the week after next. That's the one that I would really be focused on in terms of valuation. What do you think of this Walmart strength? Well, just remember, Walmart's last quarterly result, good, bad, or indifferent, it dropped substantially. And the thing about drops and gaps or gaps up, they don't come in isolated moments. You typically get two or three. I'll bet you Walmart's a little bit light. Hmm. What do you want to hear from Walmart, Julie? We've heard some interesting, uh, you know, various trends from Walmart's, Walmart in the past in terms of getting higher income consumers who are trading down. Um, consumables will be interesting with food inflation down this time. What are you listening for? Yeah, I think that's the place I'm the most interested is understanding what the mix and what people are most interested in buying right now. If there's also happening, uh, if we're seeing more of the trade down into private label, that is always an interesting comment on where the consumer is trying to find value. Because I think that's really been clear is that consumers are willing to pay, but they want value now. They're not just going to buy any old thing. And I think Walmart's really well positioned for that. Yeah. Mike, your take? Yeah, I mean, we're long Walmart. We're actually long Target, too. You know, kind of to Carter's point, uh, you know, Walmart obviously had that 8% drop after they reported the last time. It's a little bit rich. It's not a big grower. I'd like to see how they're doing on the digital front. Target had had some inventory issues and other things going on last year. They seem to have worked their way through that, that 16 and a half times. I think we could potentially see a little bit more follow through coming out of their earnings. Now, the interesting thing is that Target usually reports before Walmart, except for this quarter each year. Last year, this time, uh, Target actually got a big move off of Walmart's results. And I think there is a possibility that we see uh, that next week, too. That's an interesting dynamic in terms of the timing of things and how you set up going to the next one. You know what else is interesting? About a week or so ago, it was reported that Target is considering 
this membership program similar to Amazon, which is fine. And Walmart. And Walmart. But the question you have to ask yourself, why they can I understand it makes sense and you can get a recurring revenue stream and you get visibility. It should help your multiple. With that said, you know, are they seeing something that's forcing them to sort of move, change course a little bit? So I would look at that more a negative than a positive. I would understand a lot of people say, you know what, guy, you're wrong. They're just sort of going where the flow is. They're skating to where the puck is. I would say maybe they see something in their core business that they don't quite like and they have to shift gears here a bit. I mean, if you want recurring membership too, you have to think about what a, a recurring consumer would purchase and it would be less, less throw pillows, mirrors, and table lamps, Julie. It would be more sort of the staples of your everyday life. Yeah, exactly. I think that's what that's what Amazon has really benefited from is that kind of regular core staples business. And I think Target Target really only works when they're doing well with their throw pillows and mirrors and whatever. That's really so central to that story working and it's where they execute the best. Tim buys mirrors. Well, I'm laughing because, <laughs> because you know, Tim's not idea. watching. I think he's I fine. I hope but I mean, the one thing he thinks of, I mean, Tim buys mirrors. I mean, does that come I, as a surprise? I had mentioned the general merchandise that one could buy a Target, and Tim immediately said mirrors, which, you know, it's like, perfect. You think you have mirrors. That makes the highlight reel. I mean, we're in January, February. It already made the year highlight reel. <laughs> Mike, you own both. But if you had to choose, which one do you think sets up better into this report, to this cycle? I like Target better this time just because of the multiple and also because I think that they are sort of reversing off of some of those negative trends that they saw last year. They were underperforming Walmart pretty considerably. One other quick thing about, you know, subscription-based services, there are some regular staples types goods, things like coffee. You know, I actually subscribe now via Amazon in this case, so we just get our coffee delivered. This is something you buy all the time. It is not that perishable. There's, I think you're going to increasingly see some of that type of thing. And I could actually see why some of these other guys, when you're looking both at digital and some of those types of items, why subscription services and you know a subscription membership could start to make some sense. You got to be careful, though, because they can jack that price up and you have no idea because it's just automatic. Subscri- it comes every month. Which chart looks better? Well, Carter? they're completely different, right? Just uh, as Mike said, this is a reversal. So this is a stock that lost 60 percent of its value and is basing and bottoming and has all the look of a bearish to bullish reversal buy versus Walmart, which is steep, uncorrected drops and gaps on last quarterly results. And now is recovered right back to the scene of the crime from which it dropped before. I would go with Target over Walmart. In terms of the read on the consumer mm-hmm. specifically, Guy, what are you listening for? I mean, we heard something interesting from McDonald's, and that was a lower-income consumer right. was trading down, was not going there as much because eating out, eating in was more affordable. First time in the 17 years I've been doing the show, we've never heard that from McDonald's right. before, which should be concerning. That comes a year and a half after the CEO of Dollar Gen talked about people trading exactly. down from them. So this is now a bit of a theme. So to answer your question, it's not Target. Walmart, I think, has their finger on the pulse much better than any of these other retailers. I want to hear what they have to say in terms of what does their consumer look like. Remember, I think it was two or so quarters ago that the average income of a Walmart customer was $100,000 or more. Right. It went up. Think about that. So yeah. I'm really fascinated to hear what they have to say. Uh, Mike, yeah. yeah the question is, is it, is it idiosyncratic? McDonald's, let's take Wingstop. I mean, that can't be exactly the most high-end uh, operation. If the stock has doubled, it was 150 in October. Mm. It's over 300. So it, it's very uh, case by case. The two big ones that are heavy, it's, it's Starbucks and it's McDonald's. They're just, they're heavy lacking. meaning like Yeah, they're just not, not participating. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Mike, how about you in terms of the, the read-throughs? To the rest of because obviously these two giants set up for next the next round after that. Um, so what are the read throughs? 
Yeah, I mean, some of the other sort of uh, retail type of earnings that I'm kind of looking for are uh, things like Home Depot and Lowe's, which uh, obviously don't correlate that closely. I mean, we're dealing more with the home builder sort of trade. And of course, that's a little bit uh, hard hit. We also have something that uh, affects Home Depots and Lowe's and the Walmarts and Targets not quite as much. And we're talking about sort of the durables, appliances and things like that. We definitely see some softness in that area. And I think that's a bit of a concern. And also Home Depot, although their valuation has come down a bit, I think they're trading around 23 times, which is low for them historically. Uh, I'm not really expecting really good numbers, uh, you know, when I'm looking at those two. All right. Uh, we got a news alert we're going to get to on new additions to JetBlue's board. I guess it's official. Philippo's mm. got the details. Phil. It is official, Melissa. We just got a release from JetBlue saying that two members of Icon Enterprises will be joining the board of JetBlue following the company's annual meeting later this spring. The two new members will be the Icon Enterprises General Counsel, Jesse Lin, as well as Portfolio Manager Stephen Miller. They're going to be observers to the board for the next several weeks until that meeting uh, this spring, and then they will join the board of JetBlue. So Carl Icon, less than a week after announcing that he has taken a 9.91% stake in JetBlue now has two representatives on the board of JetBlue. This is something he has been in discussions with with the company as he started to amass his position starting in January. Now we'll have to see what happens over the next several weeks and board meetings in terms of what changes they can affect at JetBlue. We already know what's happening with regard to the proposed merger with Spirit. That's on an expedited appeal. Separate from that, what will they be pushing for? I suspect, Melissa, that a lot of the things they're going to be pushing for have already been put in place in motion by Joanna Garrity, the new CEO of JetBlue. Nonetheless, they have two seats on the board to further emphasize the importance of changes in the way this company is run. Phil, thanks. Phil LeBeau. That was fast. Guy. Yeah, well, you knew that was coming. You stay the yeah. course. They reported February 2nd, 4th quarter, which was ish, right? But their guidance was not particularly good. I think the stock had a five and three quarters or so price target associated with it. Since then, obviously, it's rallied pretty significantly percentage-wise. Now Carl's involved, got some board seats. You could say maybe that's going to be a trough quarter. And with him in your corner, I think you can continue to own the stock and play it from the long side. Stock is up 1% after hours on the back of this news. Mike, I'm, I'm curious what you think the icon playbook would be at this point since, uh, you know, the options for the airline is they're fairly, fairly limited aside from just sort of internal improvements, expense controls, et cetera. Well, I mean, that's going to be really important, right? Because the forecast for the full year free cash flow was negative 1.1 billion, and they've only got about one and a half billion in cash. So uh, obviously, managing those expenses fairly carefully is going to be key. I mean, I will say, you know, one potential benefit is that, you know, we do have some control on the fuel side. That's always a big input cost. Uh, operational cost for the airlines. I think that's important. I think they kind of got a little bit shortchanged uh, the industry that I should say, you know, in terms of the anti-compete sort of assessment by FTC and others. But I think it's all about going to be all about cost controls. They're going to have to keep that under control because obviously the cost of capital has gone up quite considerably. Yep. Uh, let's get back to retail earnings now. Bring in Joe Feldman, Senior Managing Director and Assistant Director of Research at Telsey Advisory Group. Joe, great to see you. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks for having me. In terms of Walmart, um, I think a lot of people are expecting a pretty solid holiday season, but we will be getting some commentary potentially on, um, you know, the month, the weeks after the holidays. What are you looking for? 
Yeah, we're hoping to see that the consumer has stayed resilient. Um, Walmart has described a consumer that's been trading down. They've seen more high income individuals shopping at their stores. And then the lower income shopper that they have has been trading down within categories. So we're curious to see if that's still the case. We're curious to see if traffic has sustained itself. They've been generating pretty good traffic relative to the rest of retail. And we think they were one of the winners for the holiday season. Now we just need to see them continue that into this year. Joe, we're seeing layoffs across a swath of industries. It's not manifesting itself in the unemployment rate. I think it's a matter of time. But let's just say this is becoming a trend. Who wins? I think obviously Walmart wins this. But at Costco, for example, which theoretically should, makes sense, except that it's trading at close to 43 times next year's numbers. This stock trades rich, but is it too rich, I guess, is my question. Well, I've covered that stock for over 20 years, and it's always expensive uh, from a valuation standpoint. And yet that stock looks like the perfect stock chart you'd want to own for the long term. We still like Costco very much. You know, the, the more affluent consumer shops there, the middle income consumer shops there, they offer the best value. And you really do get tremendous uh, good deals for the membership price that you're paying there. So I think Costco is still one of the winners, even in that type of an environment where we do start to see uh, and we have seen some of these layoffs. I'm curious. This is Julie. I'm curious what your thoughts are in terms of the importance of execution in this environment versus just being in a certain income segment. Is Which is more important to you right now? Well, I, I do think execution is key. And, you know, the best retailers out there, the big guys like, you know, Walmart, um, Costco, Home Depot, we see very good execution from these retailers. And I think that that is something that people are focused on. You know, expectations for 2024, I think, have come down quite a bit in the past few weeks. I mean, you know, we saw the stock skyrocket once the Fed, you know, sort of indicated a pivot. And now as they've pulled back on the timing of that, these stocks have started to level off and even pull back a little. So I think execution is going to be a big driver combined with their commentary about how they, they see the year shaping up, which I think they're going to talk a lot about it being a back half weighted year uh, from a consumer's perspective. How does Home Depot uh, look to you, Joe? You're, you're saying that you think the first half of this year is going to be kind of challenging. Yeah, no, I think it's going to be much of the same that we've seen the past uh, several months for Home Depot, for Lowe's, floor and decor, that whole home improvement side of the, the market. You know, everybody wants to see the, the housing market ease up and get a little better. I know home um, values are high, which is generally a good indicator for Home Depot and Lowe's, but the spending has been challenged. And I think it's because you know people aren't able to borrow against their homes. They're taking on, they did a lot of big projects during the pandemic that you don't have to do right now. And so they're being more cautious with how they've been spending. And so we're probably going to see similar trends first half of this year. And second half, hopefully that starts to ease up a little bit. And that feels like, you know, those stocks got a little bit ahead of themselves again with that, you know, since that move from December till today, um, you know, I, I feel like they're, they they feel a little uh, pricey for where they mm -hmm. are at the moment. Joe, thanks. Great to see you. Thank Joe you Joe Feldman, Telsey Advisory. Well, Mike, there you are, Home Depot. Do you think the second half gets any better? I mean, theoretically, rates should come down, start to come down. Yeah, I mean, so... Take a look at how Home Depot and Lowe's, what their growth rates were before the pandemic, because obviously, as as Joe was just talking about, that's kind of an unusual circumstance. And actually, if you just sort of draw a longer term trend, 
you get up to about that 150, $155 billion revenue number, throw a 10% margin on that. So that actually isn't too far off the consensus numbers and that 23 uh, handle that is on. So I think it's kind of fairly valued here. We do, we do own it, but I'm not really looking forward to the earnings numbers that much because I think they're going to be a little bit disappointing. You know, I think around 23 times, it's, it's about fair and it's on trend for its long-term growth rate. Joe was talking about how good the Costco did, chart was, I heard and that. I, I immediately <laughs> thought of Carter. So, it's, it's, so there is such a thing as uh, so good it's bad, which, of course, we've oh. all discussed it. This, so at 47 times, something that I think, Guy, you raised, uh, this is a, a SaaS multiple because it is. They're getting their membership fees, and, but it's steep, uncorrected. It's loved. Uh, take some profits. Oh, so bad it's good. I mean, there's a the whole segment around Carter Braxton Worth. There is. We need an animation. Well, we do it all the time. March 7th is when they report. I would say you probably can continue to own this into earnings. If I'm long the stock, though, ahead of that release, which is, I think, after the close on the 7th, you've got to take profits to Carter's point. And strangely, the street, if you look at the 25 analysts that cover it, their 12-month price target meaning out the next, is below where the stock's trading now. So on the fundamental side, the people who are responsible for studying it and getting it right and predicting where it will be, they believe it will be lower 12 months hence. Um, Julie, I feel like this is the ex- prime example of, you mentioned execution versus just the, being in the right income bracket. Costco on the execution side versus, you know, a Walmart being in the right income. Uh, well, maybe Walmart's also execution, but, you know, Walmart being the right demographic right now. Yeah, the level of execution that we see out of Costco, is it's just so consistent. And it speaks not just to the fact that they have a great management team in place, but there are structural protections around their business that make it hard to copy it. We've seen lots of off-price companies try to, to do this Costco model, and it's just, it's really difficult. So I think there's something pretty special to that. At this valuation, though, it's tough to say, yeah, I want to buy more. All right. Coming up, is Eli Lilly set to hit the trillion-dollar market cap mark? That's what Morgan Stanley is wondering as the name just keeps going higher and higher. We'll debate what's next for this one. Next, plus Super Micro takes a super breather. The tech stock dropping 20% today after hitting a record early in the session. We'll dive into the options pits for a look at where traders believe this wild ride is going next. This is Fast Money with Melissa Lee right here on CNBC. Welcome back to Fast Money. A big day for Supermicro. Shares of the tech company hitting a record high close to $1,100 and then falling 20% to close back near $800. That's after Wells Fargo initiated coverage of the company with an equal weight rating saying Supermicro will continue to capitalize on AI, but shares are already discounting solid upside. The stock is still up 182% to start the year. So is this just one bad day? Mike, you know, the reversal is really interesting. What do the options market say? Yeah, you know, uh, when I was on the floor of the NYMEX trading natural gas, uh, the kind of reversal we saw where you gap higher and then close substantially lower was really a very, very bearish signal. We saw a lot of activity in the options. It traded almost a million contracts. And when you consider that this is an $800 stock, that makes it pretty much the busiest single stock option in terms of its notional value that traded today. Right now, the options market is implying that the stock could still move 16.5% higher or lower just by the end of next week. And the most active contracts that traded were the 1,000 strike calls that expire next week and the 700 strike puts. Uh, The 6,600 you have here actually was just before the close. It actually ended up trading about 7,500 of those Feb 23rd, 700 strike puts for a little over 15 bucks a piece. 
One quick point I would make is that there's a real short squeeze risk in here. And I think that, you know, whether you're trying to bet one way or the other, that explains why we see these very, very high options premiums. Uh, has there been damage to this uptrend today? So, you know, it's Carter. like it's how you want to tell your story. So, for instance, we could have a whole article that says SMCI collapses down 30 percent from its peak. We could change the story and say SMCI, another big week, up eight and a half percent for the week, <laughs> up seven weeks in a row. Which is the story? Which is there? There are people that bought on the high today and are already down 30 percent. There are people who were long last week and despite the volatility are up another eight percent. Mm. At the end of the day, uh, it seems all very parabolic to me. Let's look at this chart. This is a, a stock that was sitting here uh, at the same price of $42 in 2015 as it was in 2021. $42 and now it's a thousand. Uh, sometimes you uh, you're loved, but you don't stay loved forever. So head uh, I, I, I would. Yeah, sure. OK, um, this sort of underscores, though, Julie, the, the fear maybe about the space in terms of the, the other big moves higher that we've seen that they could just go, you know, goodbye <laughs> at any moment on any little piece of news. And we're saying this ahead of NVIDIA earnings next week. Yeah, I mean, I, I think this is a function of, you know, these are still semiconductor companies. They're still capital intensive. They're still probably pretty cyclical. And we still don't really know exactly how AI is going to permeate through the enterprise. We know there's a lot of opportunity there. And we know that it takes, you know, a certain amount of leadership and IP in order to to attack that market, but it's still really not clear to me what the size of the market is and what the profitability of that market is. You know, when Supermicro reported, they talked about, you know, taking pricing so that they can gain market share. That's not usually what you're doing in a leadership position. Usually you're able to raise pricing. So I think that part of the reason why we're seeing a lot of this volatility is that it's really not clear what the earnings power of this business is. And so it's really hard to value. Bank of America initiated Supermicro, a $1,040 price target, which made them the high on the street. I think it was yesterday. Mm -hmm. The low on the street is $250. Think about that range wow. for a second. To Carter's earlier point about fundamentals and analysts getting paid to do this. The odd thing about this is, valuation-wise, it's not as absurd as we've seen with some other companies, but the parabolic move clearly is. And when you see six times normal volume on a reversal like this, Yesterday, with an RSI north of 95, which you never see, and we never even talk about that, only when you have those types of extremes, the setup to me is not particularly good. Right. Uh, it's so, I mean, just for instance, the Wall Street's target to start the year, just hours ago, right? We were only into this year for a few hours. It was 375. Now Wall Street has a target of 700. Like, guys, how could you think it was going to be worth 375 in 12 months? Now you think it's worth 700. They're just making it up. But what we do know is, Intraday reversals like this are not good, and that's really Guy's point, where you, you draw in a lot more people, it, it, it goes uh, expansion in volume that's dramatic, and then it reverses, it's like slipping off the chin-up bar and falling, you're out of gas. Right. Don't go anywhere, we've got more options action coming up later. All eyes on NVIDIA ahead of the tech titan's hotly anticipated earnings. Mike will be laying out a trade. There's a lot more fast money to come, here's what's coming up next. Is Eli Lilly about to become the first pharma stock to join the Trillion Dollar Club? That's where Morgan Stanley thinks this name's market cap is heading. We'll debate whether the company behind Manjaro and Zetbound can stay ahead of the pack. Plus, the ultimate would you rather. Some of this year's high flyers slug it out for valuation supremacy in every category. From tech to fast food to makeup, who will come out on top? Stay tuned. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. 
Eli Lilly topping the tape, closing out a monster week at a new high, nearly uh, hitting 800 bucks at the highs of the day. Morgan Stanley sees even more upside for the stock, raising its price target to a street high of $950 a share. That is 20% higher from here. Lilly's market cap is just over $250 billion from making it the first healthcare company to reach the trillion dollar mark. There are a lot of uh, readouts this year, Mike, in terms of a lot of different trials for sleep apnea, for liver disease um, that could be potential catalysts. What do you think? You know, it's interesting because you take a look at a company like this that had, you know, fairly consistent but modest growth for a long time. I mean, the company grew maybe 18 percent on the top line between 2011 and 2021. And now we're looking at that kind of growth rate annualized. You know, we talk about um, you know, AI as being a really big business opportunity. Obesity is arguably an even bigger one. And I think this is just a, a company that's completely changed now. I mean, if they actually are able to follow through on the diabetes and obesity opportunities, and of course, that's also a big uh, health solution for the country overall. I actually agree with Morgan Stanley here. We're we're in this name. I think it's obviously had a big run. I don't know that I would chase it right here. You probably will get a better opportunity, but uh, this is now a growth stock. Julie? Yeah, it's I mean, it's an incredible story. And we all understand that, you know, the obesity epidemic is substantial. You know, my thing is, you know, thinking about this business, there are 77 percent of Wall Street analysts that have a buy rating on this stock. That always makes me a little bit nervous, right? Because what that means is just that expectations are so high. And so the level of execution required is that much higher. And it's the same thing where people, in order to get comfortable with it, need to know that the other drugs that are in the pipeline are also right there and and on brand and ready to go. So I am a little bit nervous about it at this levels, but I think for the very long term, these opportunities for these GLP-1s is tremendous. It's, you know, it has such major lateral implications for our healthcare system. So uh, let, let's do this, because you were mentioning, uh, you know, analysts and do it again. So let's take the two most prominent, arguably, uh, on the street, the two biggest firms, Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley. Morgan Stanley just raised the 950. Goldman Sachs has 650. Both analysts have a doctorate before their name. It's Dr. So-and-so versus Dr. So-and-so. So one doctor thinks it's worth 650, one thinks it's worth 950. What do you do with that? Get a third opinion. Maybe. <laughs> or for sure. Get a third opinion. Since you mentioned there's an obesity epidemic. Agreed. You know what else? Apparently, there's a vanity epidemic as well, because quite frankly, if we're being honest, a lot of people are taking this drug for that reason and that reason only. And just I'll throw it out there because it's a Friday. For example, Eli Lilly now has a market cap, $750 billion-ish, going to do $50 billion of revenue. Just remember those two numbers. Merck, for example, completely different company in the same world does $67 billion of revenue and has less than half the market cap. So you're getting into areas where I understand the growth and all those things, that's great. In order for Eli Lilly to justify those types of valuation, they have to go from 50, in my opinion, to about 150 to 200 billion to make sense in terms of the math. Now, if you think that's gonna happen, stay with it. And we've been bullish in Eli Lilly forever. But at a certain point, you have to look at this objectively. Do you bring up the vanity aspect of the drug because you think those sales are fleeting or not not enduring, as opposed to somebody who's taking it to address obesity, which is recognized by the American Medical Association as a disease? No, which so, I totally understand, right. and I'm extraordinarily sympathetic towards, without question. But I'm, I would be fascinated to see the breakdown between the people that are taking it because they're 
clinically obese or statistically obese as opposed to the people that are taking it because they have a wedding in three weeks and they want to fit into a tuxedo and or a dress. Julie? Well, I mean, apparently the highest, the place where there is the highest percentage of prescriptions for these GLP-1s is the Upper East Side. That tells you everything you need to know, right? These are the people who can afford those medications, but they need to stay on them in order to stay skinny. So I, I don't think there's any risk of them going off of them. So their market is enduring. <laughs> so maybe the multiple is worth it because all these people are, you know, taking it. They're paying for it. They're willing to inject. The barriers to taking this drug are very high, actually. If you think yeah. about it, it's not as easy as popping an inexpensive pill. This is an injectable once a week that you got to pay, you know, $1,000 for uh, per treatment. So I don't know. What do you think, Julie? Worth I, it? I mean, the valuation? I, I don't. Valuation wise, to me, it's really tough to go in there and say, yeah, I'm going to buy more right now. But I think the underlying fundamentals in this business are really, really compelling because it's just such a large problem. Uh, but I, you know, what, how it plays out in our medical system, what, you know, what employer really wants to pay for this drug when the long term health benefits may accrue to them when the employee no longer works for them. So I think understanding the pricing, too, is, is a tricky thing for insurance. I think that's a great point there. Um, a quick programming note here. A new documentary I've been working on about obesity and the GLP-1 drug boom is coming. It is called Big Shot, the Ozempic Revolution. It premieres Thursday, February 29th, right here on CNBC, 10 p.m. Eastern Time and Pacific. So tune in. Coming up, the ultimate would you rather. Ooh. We are pitting some of this year's high flyers against each other in a head-to-head face-off for the ages. From big tech to beauty to burgers. Who will come out on top? Find out next. Plus, NVIDIA in focus ahead of next week's make or break earnings report. We'll lay out a way to set yourself up for big gains using options. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Fast Money. Stock sliding lower to snap a five-week winning streak for the major averages. The Dow dropping nearly 150 points. The S&P finishing half a percent lower. And the Nasdaq dropping almost 1% to close the week. A couple of big movers today. DoorDash sinking 8% after last night's earnings report. The food delivery platform posting a larger-than-expected loss for the quarter. Coinbase, though, going in the opposite direction, hitting its highest level in nearly two years. The cryptocurrency exchange posting its first profit in two years. And last but not least, American Express shares hitting a brand new all-time high, managing to finish out the day just in the green. Carter, quick take on AXP. Well, so this is a very sort of dull kind of thing, but uh, it has to join the party at some point, and uh, why not? And it never uh, trades rich, right? It always is sort of a modest multiple. I think it's a decent uh, and proper hold. If you have it, you'll hold it. All right. Meantime, we thought we'd have a little fun mm. on this Friday before a long weekend with a game of the ultimate would you rather. We noticed that a lot of stocks out there have had monster runs, and they're actually trading at very similar valuations to some other names. So we wondered if you had to pick one, which would you choose? So we start off with Meta. Even with its 175% run over the past year, it is trading at a forward P.E. of under 25 that is about where McDonald's is. So which would you rather, Guy, Meta or Mickey D? McDonald's, I think. And understand, I have a McDonald's at 22 times. Doesn't matter. I get the game. I'll play it correctly. McDonald's, the reason why, I mean, Facebook valuation compelling. They got their business in order without question. But they blew through the prior all-time high of 380 in a meaningful way. You're on the verge of a parabolic move. Whereas a McDonald's, 
You've had pullbacks along the way, but you've had very normal pullbacks. So this, to me, slow and steady wins the race. I think Meta's in for a disappointment at some point, maybe on the back of an ad spend with small and medium-sized businesses slowing down. McDonald's wins in that environment. Julie, which would you rather? I mean, the, the profitability that is in the meta business is pretty exceptional, and they have an absurd amount of data that they can use to train their AI models, and I think they're going to be able to figure out a way to really leverage that in a way that's a little bit creepy but super profitable. So that's definitely where I'd be placing my bet right now. All right. Then there's Netflix, up 66 in the past year. It's got a forward P.E. around 35 marks, similar to Airbnb. So, Carter, which would you rather? Yeah, I would rather do Netflix. Um, obviously, it's getting close to being parabolic here. Uh, but at, at the end of the day, this is a better business model, I think, than Airbnb. While that is funny mentals, uh, that is also important. So uh, of the two, my choice, uh, Netflix. Mike. Yeah, I think uh, Netflix also. Look, I mean, Airbnb, obviously, they've, they've had some sort of black eyes lately. And, uh, you know, we see some locales that are sitting there trying to see whether they can impose sort of the same kind of tax regime that exists for the hospitality area on Airbnb. You know, look, Netflix just has a very uh, leverageable business model. You know, one of the things that we're talking about, of course, in these cases are we're kind of chasing these stocks after they've had spectacular runs. But at least in this game, we're dealing with uh, companies that are trading at similar multiples. So for me, this one's pretty easy. It's going to be Netflix. All right, let's move on to Uber, which hit an all-time high yesterday, and Estee Lauder, both with PEs in the mid-60s. So, Guy, Uber, or Estee? This is a tough one because I'd, instinctually I'd go Uber, but you know what? The move since October, the stock has doubled, and I get it, valuation, the whole thing, but it's too much for me. Estee Lauder, on the flip side, similar valuation, but this stock has been obliterated over the last couple of years. Seemingly found their footing last quarter. Turnaround story, I'd rather Estee Lauder. And by the way... Hmm. It's the E in Tim's bicep. There's no it show without mentioning e. right, right, right. Tim's bicep. Yeah, he's not even watching. Uh, Carter, what do you say? Yeah, completely different circumstances to Guy's point. Estee Lauder, one of the great all-time winners in terms of compounding for investors, and yet it's fallen on hard times. Is it an early-stage bearish to bullish reversal? I kind of like them both. Um, I guess EL, just because the other is so steep and uncorrected. All right. And finally, Tesla and Palo Alto, their forward P.E. ratios are in the upper 60s. So, Mike, what would you rather, Tesla or Palo Alto? Yeah, I'm going to have to go with Palo Alto here, which is kind of violating my Holly Index rule, Mm. because usually I don't uh, throw any stocks that she favors uh, into the dustbin. But, you know, the situation here is something that Julie was talking about before, which is that Palo Alto Networks is actually looking at expanding their margins. I don't think that's necessarily true for Tesla. We've seen the earliest part of uh, the hockey stick for EVs, but I think we're sort of hitting a little bit of a plateau here because we need infrastructure in some other places. So I think they're actually not going to see as good growth as Palo Alto is likely to. Julie, which one for you? Yeah, no, I totally agree. In what world would I rather pay the same amount for a company that bends metal versus one that sells software? It's just not even comparable. Palo Alto Networks has the potential to reach Microsoft level margins, most likely. I don't see anything structurally that prevents that. And so the earnings power on this business is just so much more meaningful over the long term. All right. I think we have time for this bonus. Oh, bonus. Like a Jonas uh, bonus. This one's a little bit different. General Electric, or the entire Magnificent Seven. Carter's got some technicals on the charts, Carter. Sure, let's look at them, pull the charts up right away. I mean, who would have thought that GE could be outpacing the Magnificent Seven? And yet it is. 
Um, it's also at the top of its channel. It's basically gone from 50 to 150, a triple. Uh, my hunch here is to start taking profits, if not exit altogether. GE just too steep and uncorrected. So you would rather mag seven? I wouldn't rather either. <laughs> That's okay. the problem. I don't no, want to play. No, 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 don't don't, them, don't let playing. them off the hook on a Friday. <laughs> That's why I asked him. I know you did. Yeah. It's you got to right. pick. He doesn't, yeah. Okay. None of the above. Uh, none, none of the above. above. All right. Coming up, all eyes on NVIDIA as the stock's monster run faces a tough hurdle, earnings. So can results meet the great expectations from investors? We've got an old school options action on the name next. Plus, just a couple of dogs on a mountainside recording a podcast. It sounds made up. That's because it is OpenAI unveiling its latest AI project that you have to see to believe. We got the details ahead. Fast Money's back in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. The moment of truth for NVIDIA's monster run. The stock up 50% in 2024 and more than 230% over the past year. And analysts just can't get enough. Loop Capital slapping a $1,200 price target on the stock today. And with investors eagerly awaiting earnings on Wednesday, can the powerhouse chipmaker keep up the momentum? We are laying out the old school options action on the name, starting with the chart master who has the technicals. Carter. Yeah, it's a coin toss uh, from my point of view, but let's look at it. three charts. Uh, we know that you have had substantial gaps, obviously, in response to earnings. You have that key gap a year ago, and now we've literally gone uh, parabolic. So the question is, is it steep? Look at this same chart another way. We've blown out through the upper band of the channel in which it's been ascending. And yet one could say, OK, but change your narrative. Look at the very long-term chart, final chart. It's still in the channel, and it's not that extended. My hunch is a lot rides on this, and I would say go so far. Either this gaps up and then the market sets a high, or it gaps down and the market sets a high. There's every possibility that next week we'll finally put it in an intermediate top. So you think that the markets well, are going, the market direction will be dictated you by get, There's nobody left. We've heard from almost everybody. This is the big one, right, the, of the big that have all reported. It gaps up, and then you get a quiet, sucking sound, silence, what's next? Markets peaks, or it's really a drop in gap, and the market peaks. But we have a mature intermediate advance off the October low. All right. So, Mike, what's the trade in your opinion? Yeah, I mean, right now the options market is implying a move of about 12% by the end of next week. And that's pretty much spot on what the company has averaged over the last eight quarters. Although you notice that the last quarter, actually, the move was a little bit more modest. And, you know, when we take a look at the valuations here, uh, this thing is actually trading at a discount to its long term forward looking PE, even if it's ahead of itself in terms of its trailing PE. That tells you that the street has just been setting higher and higher price targets for the stock. My thinking is it feels a little bit frothy here. I was actually looking at trying to take advantage of the fact that those short dated options are very highly priced and looking at a call calendar, specifically the March, April 765 call calendar, buying those Aprils and selling those marches against it, taking in almost $40 for those 765 calls that expire on March 15th. You're only gonna lay out about 13 bucks a share to place this bet. And I have a feeling that maybe those marches aren't actually gonna end up in the money. What do you think, Guy? What Carter said, what Mike says always resonates. What Carter said, though, does as well in terms of the setup for the broader market could be, you know, lose, lose in terms of gap open higher, nobody left to buy, fails, or they come out with a quarter that's not up to snuff, overextended, sells off 8 to 10 percent, broader market gets sucked down with it. So I think what Carter said should resonate with a lot of people. You could make the argument, though, that because we've heard from everybody else, including their biggest customers, the hyperscalers, which have largely reported pretty good results, Julie, that it won't necessarily dictate the direction of the market because we've already set that direction with the rest of the earnings that have already come out. 
Yeah, but I mean, I feel like the last, this whole last week was pretty directionless and rudderless, right? I, I don't find that investors generally have a lot of conviction. And I think that's why they're hiding in the MAG-7. It's not even really the MAG-7 anymore. It's more like the MAG-5. So I, I think that there's actually a lot of fear still that, you know, it, other than, you know, NVIDIA and these others, that people just can't get the earnings growth that they've been expecting. And, you know, that's the real key. All right. Coming up. A new reality, what you're seeing here is a video of a woman walking in Tokyo. Or is she? There is way more than meets the eye to this scene. Julia Borson is diving into the latest AI offering. Fast Money's back in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. Lunar New Year parades are a common sight this time of year, but this particular celebration never actually happened. It's AI generated from OpenAI's new tool, Sora. The new program makes completely computer-generated video with only a text prompt. Let's bring in CNBC's Julia Borson to lift the veil on this new AI tool, which to me seems terrifying, Julia. It's pretty amazing. So OpenAI's Sora is text-to-video generative AI. It can turn a descriptive sentence or two or three into a video clip that they say will be as long as a minute long. Now, Sora can also turn still images into video, can extend videos, or fill in missing frames. Take a look at this example. The text prompt for this one is a cat waking up, a sleeping owner, demanding breakfast. It looks like a video, but that is generated by AI. OpenAI's expansion beyond text and images does raise concerns about the potential for realistic-looking fake videos to manipulate consumers, especially ahead of the election. OpenAI saying, quote, will be engaging policymakers, educators, and artists around the world to understand their concerns and to identify positive use cases for this new technology. And just earlier today, 20 tech companies announced a commitment to combating AI misinformation in this year's elections around the world. OpenAI also saying it's working to make sure that AI-generated content can be identified as such. They're building in a detection classifier to identify SORA-generated clips and are including metadata to tag SORA-created video. Another potential issue is concerns that AI-generated videos could infringe on copyrighted work, but the company says it's only training on licensed or publicly available content. And while this new technology may not be threatening the livelihood of filmmakers just yet, graphic designers and animators, they may be concerned. Melissa? All right. Thank you, Julia. Julia Borston. I mean, that picture of the, the woman walking in through Tokyo, that looked real. I mean, that could have been in a movie, I think. Um, now I am become death, the destroyer of worlds. Oppenheimer. I mean, I don't want to get all melodramatic on a Friday, but this is terrifying, Melissa Lee. All right. <laughs> Up next, final trades. Time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Julie Beal. You know, a girl and her love of funny mentals. It's a tale as old as time. Tyler is a great example of those. <laughs> Mike Coe. Yeah, Walmart reports next week and Target not for another two weeks, but I like Target better going into earnings. Carter. Copper uh, on the COMEX. A good week. Uh, I want to be long. Got Big it. week next week, Mel. It's a good thing you'll be here with your hand on the till, steering us towards the horizon. Not here. Barrett Gold. Thanks for watching Fast. Have a great long weekend. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now.
All opinions expressed by the Fast Money participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Fast Money participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Fast Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Fast Money Disclaimer.